Hi, I'm Claire Riley and welcome to MS Understood. I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis in April 2017. At the time, all I wanted to do was get on with my life, put my head in the sand and privately listen to real people's stories about living with this unpredictable disease. I was deep in denial, terrified about the unknown ahead and I felt really alone. So there it is. MS Understood, conversations with real people from all walks of life who live with MS. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge that this episode of MS Understood was recorded across multiple lands. I recognise and acknowledge that all of Australia is Aboriginal land and I pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Just quickly, I want to jump in and say a huge thank you to all of those people who donated towards the GoFundMe to cover the cost of hosting for this podcast. Up until this point, it's been free to get this podcast out to you, but recently the platform that hosts the podcast decided to start charging money. So I put it out to the community via the MS Understood podcast Instagram page and had an amazing response. Huge thank you to Lachlan and Jess, Lucy, Helen, Stevie, Catherine, Bridget, Deb, Claire and Kim and an anonymous donor. It's kept MS Understood alive. And I I remember looking at her and I said, when am I going to get better? And she said, no, dear, you're probably not going to get better now. I was like, oh, okay. But I do also remember thinking, fuck that. (laughs) I was like, I am not living like this. Today on the MS Understood podcast, we chat with Katie Silverthorne. She shares about the relief of finally getting a diagnosis, how travelling made it clear to her as the best ways to look after herself, and how deciding to work for herself was a game changer, and so much more. Hi Katie, thank you so much for joining us on the MS Understood podcast today. How are you going? Hi, hello, thank you for having me. I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Oh, yeah, I'm good. It's funny, um, we were just saying before we started recording the podcast that it's just after 7am for me and I'm like ready and raring to go and it's 8pm for you and it's your best time of the day. I wouldn't say best time of the day, but it's definitely better than 7am. 7am is not a good time of day. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? Because I yeah, definitely fade out in the evenings. Yeah, no, I'm not. I wake up and I feel like I have been hit by a spade in the night <laughs> and then I slowly come to consciousness as the day goes on. <laughs> yeah, right. Is there anything you do that helps with that coming to consciousness? Um, trying not to talk to anybody as best as I possibly can. Um, when I, I, I do every other day, health um, allowing it, I go for a run when I wake up. So I wake up, I have a banana, um, I have a glass of water and I go for a run. Yeah. So that's usually, and if my daughter was at school, which she isn't currently, if my daughter was at school, then I would take her to school and then go for a run. But at the moment, I just go out because I don't have to go anywhere else. But um, and then the other days tends to be more of a, I might do a little bit of Tai Chi, maybe. Um, other than that, it tends to be staring into space for 10 or 15 minutes <laughs> and <laughs> slowly waking up with a smoothie and a glass of water or something. Um, I don't drink coffee because it keeps me awake at night. I was just going to ask about coffee. I don't drink coffee because it makes me need to go to the toilet too often. And I get really anxious. 
Yeah, I think it probably, I don't get anxious, um, but it definitely, it keeps me awake at night. So I don't drink tea or coffee or eat chocolate, which is really, really shit because I really like chocolate, but it does keep me awake. And my husband as well, it keeps him awake and my daughter. So everybody in this household is chocolate sort of sensitive, which is just yeah, weird. Right. Well, I yeah. suppose it's the caffeine. Yeah, yeah, it must yeah. be. Yeah. 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 But I do occasionally drink coffee. Like if I think right today, I've got loads and loads of stuff to do. So I'll have a quarter of a teaspoon of um, like instant coffee. And that's like, do you, buzzing. do you ever try decaf coffee? Yeah, I do drink. If I, if you ever see me drink, drink coffee on Instagram or it's, wherever, I'm, it's always decaf. It's never yeah. anything other than decaf. And I do like it because I like the, the ritual of making it. I like the ritual of putting it into a cafetiere and plunging it. And I enjoy the the relaxation of it and the sort of the the ritual the pleasure the ritual yeah. that's the one I was looking for yeah. yeah the ritual of it but not it doesn't ever have caffeine in it <laughs> yeah yeah I am um, I've stopped drinking same so it's no tea no coffee oh I coffee I always was funny about but no tea because of mm. the needing to go to the toilet and yeah recently I discovered that even the caffeine in decaf was too much for my anxiety on some days Oh, really? So I have That's to be really, really careful about, um, I'm generally not an anxious person, but if yeah. I if I have that amount of caffeine, yeah. I just start overthinking everything. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm I did feel virtuous. Yeah, yeah, it does make you feel like you kind of get, I feel a little bit smug. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah a little bit. But um, many, many years ago, I mean, like it's got to be 10 years ago or something like that. I had a coffee in, I don't know, some coffee shop or something like that and I was walking home and I started to feel really weird I was like oh my goodness I think I might be having a panic attack I don't have panic attacks or anything like that I felt really short of breath and really anxious I had to call my husband to kind of say I think I'm having a panic attack I don't really understand but I just have a coffee it must have had so much caffeine in it and it just sent me loopy loo totally off the wall and I was not wildly enthusiastic on coffee shop coffees <laughs> after that. But thankfully, that doesn't happen. It was a really, it must have been such a strong coffee because I've had plenty of coffees in coffee shops before and it's never happened, but it must have been weirdly strong or maybe on an empty stomach or something. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. We've, we've gone on a tangent. Usually I like to ask the first question is to tell a diagnosis story. And I know you were diagnosed quite some time ago. So give us a, a brief synopsis or tell us the whole story. It's up to you. Okay. So um, when I was, um, when I was 18, um, about that, about 18 or 19, um, I had my very first symptoms, which was my left arm going from the tips of my fingers to my elbow going numb. And um, I went to the doctor and he said, oh, you've got a trap nerve in your back, it'll go away, which it did go away, went away for five years. <laughs> and then um, I think that actually happened two or three times over the course of about six months. That hand went a bit funny here and there. And, oh, it's just my funny trap nerve. And I didn't really think much about it. As far as I can remember, there were no other symptoms. I don't remember there being any pain or anything like that. But then when I was 23, I, um, I remember at work, I started to get numb toes and I can remember it because I, I was just walking along and I suddenly, I suddenly thought my foot feels really weird and I couldn't quite, I couldn't really place it because I'd never really felt anything like that before. It didn't feel, I didn't associate it with my hand because my hand had been such a long time before I'd basically forgotten about it. So 
Then my foot, so over the next um, two or three weeks, my toes went numb, my foot went numb, my lower leg went numb, and then it slowly basically spread up through my thigh, into my body, halfway, exactly halfway through the trunk of my body. So my left-hand side was completely desensitized and my right-hand side was fine. My left-hand side was then desensitized all the way down to my wrist, but my fingers were fine, which is weird because that's what had been numb before. But anyway, so all of that spread um, over about two weeks, combined with some rather staggering degrees of pain that, you know, now I know what that pain is. But at the time, I didn't know shooting electricity, shooting pain going up through my feet and my legs and my hands and stabbing pains in my side. And then, of course, the utterly crippling fatigue um, that made me. I mean, by the time, I think by the time three or five, by the time about four weeks had passed into it, I was just flat on my back and in bed and not really capable of anything very much. I would stagger to the toilet, leaning on the wall, as you do. Um, and sort of, I used to, I'd rest my hand against the wall and shuffle round the wall from my bed. And it kind of bent round the wall to then shuffle to the bathroom to then lean out and grab hold of something else. So my stability was very affected. My balance was very affected. Um, I was very tired and a lot of pain. And I had very, I did have feeling in that left-hand side. I wasn't paralyzed as people would sort of understand numbness to be. It was desensitized. So it, I couldn't feel where my body was, but I could still feel pain, which seems like the worst of both worlds. So that was that was the beginning of it, which was just a, it was just such a short, sharp shock into the whole experience of what MS could be. And I was like that for it's really hard to remember because I lived on my own and I was on my own in the house. And it's really hard to remember. And I didn't keep diaries and I didn't like the world wasn't as connected as it is now. So it was it was a long time ago. So it was very different. And about four months, I was like that. And I had a couple of friends who kind of kept me alive um, by bringing me food and there'd be some days you know where I'd be a little bit better and I'd walk very slowly I didn't have a car I'd walk very slowly down to the shops which weren't very far thankfully and then very slowly back up and then you know it that would be that was it that was my life and I it was yeah that's that was the beginning I wasn't diagnosed then for another six months after that um, because the waiting times were so long at that time so when I was finally diagnosed, I had done some quite a lot of research into what on earth could possibly be wrong with me. And I had settled upon the fact I probably had MS from reading about it and just getting. So when she said, oh, yes, you have MS, I was like, thank you. Now I can move on. <laughs> so that's where I was. I was diagnosed at 24 after that sort of journey to get there. Wow. And then, so how did you feel? You, I mean, you said you felt relief and I know that a lot of people often do because that's that, oh, at least it's something, you know, I haven't been making it up. Yeah, absolutely. Because there was nothing to see and it was really, it, and I, I went, to the, I did go to the doctor. It wasn't like I was just in the house on my own, but I was actually quite on my own because I went to the doctor the first, first time and he said, oh, there's nothing wrong with you. It's a trap nerve. It'll go away. So that was when I was 18. And then I asked, and then when I started to get sick, before I got really sick, I did go back and say, do you think this could be something else? No, 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 you'll have a trap nerve, you have it before, it'll go away. Okay, fine, all right. And then 
I remember trying to call the doctors when as I was getting worse and the receptionist at the time they were so rude to me and it was so difficult to get through to a doctor to actually talk to somebody and of course I wasn't in any system of any sort so there was no MS nurses there was no internet there was no Instagram or um, Facebook or there was no MS society websites <laughs> to go and look at it was call your doctor and the receptionist just said oh no sorry there's no appointments I can't help you I thought right okay but I'm okay I don't feel very well no I can't help you oh all right then and so then I hung up and that was it because I felt too ill to argue so I was just like all right she can't help me I'll just lie here then figuring out what to do and I lay there for a long time figuring out what to do or not figuring out but you know just accepting and wondering and being somewhat afraid very afraid actually at that time and um, you do and I definitely wondered if it was all in my head because there was nothing to see nothing had happened I hadn't had a car crash or an accident nothing had happened it just came from nowhere and so when I was finally diagnosed I was actually really happy because I thought oh my goodness I'm not mad that's the first thing I thought I'm not crazy I'm gonna hang on to the fact I'm not crazy because I really did think I must be crazy because I was 23 slash 20 going nearly 24 23 and practically incapable of walking, falling over every time I stand up. Um, my brain was, although only when I look back in retrospect can I say my brain was adult, but at the time I couldn't really think about anything. So my, but my brain was definitely adult. And I was so tired and so much pain and you just can't think properly. You need people to advocate for you, which I didn't have at the time. So doing it all yourself was very hard. So when I was diagnosed, I could go, ha ha. <laughs> I know what this is now, and then I could make a plan. And that was good. And part of your plan after you were diagnosed and when you felt well enough, you went traveling. Yeah. So the, uh, when I was a kid, um, whenever anybody asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, my answer was always the same. And it was, I just want to travel. I don't want to do anything else. I want to, I want to write and I want to travel was always my answer. And everybody kind of thought, oh that's so nice and I said you see that map on my I used to have a map above my bed and I said that map is going to have a pin of, in every single country in the world by the time I'm an old lady or whatever it was at the, that I thought was probably 25 at the time I thought was an old lady um, and I'd done some traveling before this you know I had done a little bit I'd been to various different places but I had a heck of a lot more traveling planned in my mind that was what everything was geared up for I didn't want to go to I hadn't been to university I didn't want a proper job I didn't really want to do anything other than find a way to travel so that was always what I'd done was work travel work travel and that was all I was I didn't have any intention of stopping that and then I sorry I got MS and um I did actually, I had actually bought a house. So I, I bought a house and I was working and I was being somewhat more sensible, but I had intentions to travel again. And um, I, after I was diagnosed, I was getting somewhat better. So I'd gone through the absolute worst of it. And I can say to this date now, that is the worst I have ever been. But I didn't know that at the time. <laughs> so, um, at that time, when I was diagnosed, because I had been so incredibly sick and they'd looked at all the 
you know, the delicious lesions in my brain and my spinal column. And they go, oh, yes, well, the chances are that you're just going to get worse from this point. I was like, <laughs> I was like but I've got better. No, no, it's only temporary. You're going to get worse. I'm like, oh, fucking wicked. Thanks. <laughs> I'm not that. I wasn't thrilled to hear that. But I thought, OK, how long do I have? And of course, nobody would tell me anything about how long I had, because there's no answer to that, is there? But I thought, okay, if I haven't got much time, then whatever it was I thought that I wanted to do with my life, I better bloody do it now because I might not be able to do it later. So I just did everything that I wanted to do. (laughs) as though I was doing that kind of, you know, what's it called when you bucket list? Yeah. yeah as though I was dying I just I just I made the assumption that in five years ten years whatever I just thought I might not be able to walk so I'm just going to do everything that involves me having to be able to walk right now in case I can't walk later and that's pretty much how I've continued to live my life to this day I make the assumption that I might not be able to do it tomorrow so I better not hang around I better do it today just in case so there oh, we go it's such a great well. it's such a great way of of living life we all should do it yeah, it's good. I've had a lot of fun and I've done a lot of things and I have no regrets. <laughs> but I, I also remember you saying you felt better. I mean, obviously with relapsing remitting and that's what you were diagnosed yeah, with. That's what I was diagnosed with. We, yeah. we tend to um, feel worse and then feel better anyway. Yeah. But yeah, you yeah, we do. Um, started to feel better while you were traveling because you put mm. it down to the ability to rest, the ability to stop. Yeah. yeah. But when yeah. we we're working or we, you know, we have to do X, Y, and Z, or we put on ourselves that we have to do X, Y, and Z. We yeah. just keep going. Yes. So that I, I traveled for a long time on and off for about seven years. And um, so it was a, it was a long time. And, you know, I came back and I did this and I did that and I worked and I went in and out, but, you know, on and off, I had that sort of traveling mentality and traveling lifestyle for quite a long time. Um, and, in that time, I learned really clearly how to listen to exactly what my body wanted. So because I didn't have any pressures on me, I didn't have to do anything. And not really. I was, I mean, I was a temp, you know, on some of it, because I had to travel when I went to places because I wasn't sort of like bottomless pit of money. I had to actually work my way around. But it was fine because I would work for a little bit or I'd work part time or the vast majority, I I wasn't working, I was just not spending money. And so you just get into the habit of, you know, living very, very cheaply. And of course, when you're in places like Australia, it's hot (laughs) all the time. And it's glorious, because you can sit on the beach, and you don't have to really, you don't have to, I don't know, sit inside a, a house with central heating on. And I don't know. But it's different. Lifestyle. The lifestyle is very different. So I could listen very clearly to what my body needed and what it wanted. If I wanted, if it need, if I thought today I'm tired, well, I'll sit here and read a book then. I could. And today I'm energetic. Oh, I think I'll go and walk up that mountain. I could. So I could take, I could allow each day and my body to guide me on what I was going to do each and every day. And that I've, 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 I've now I managed to do that again. But when I stopped traveling and I came back and I did all normal life for a little bit, and I, I, I do have a very secure life now. <laughs> I don't travel or do anything, particularly now we have a very secure, very grounded life. But my little sphere within it is very uh, flexible and very relaxed. And so being able to take that and bring that into my everyday life has been transformative. And certainly if I work for other people, you can't do that. 
and that was one of that was a game changer was deciding to work for myself not other people tell me about work when you were diagnosed you're working um you're you know 22 20 between uh, 23 24 and obviously it's been 20 years so mm. obvi- and things change in 20 years it things have been affected by ms but also by that time tell me a bit about your work journey and how it's been influenced by you having ms yeah so it's definitely been influenced so at the time when i first got sick um i worked in a i worked in a bookshop actually i'm very very fond of books i love them passionately um traveling and books <laughs> there you go that's pretty that was pretty much my two loves and i i still love books a lot i mean i read them i narrate them but you know i write them and i read them it's books are important so anyway i was very happy i worked in a bookshop um as a bookseller it wasn't anything particularly special but I really enjoyed it. I was good at it and I liked it. It was quite a big bookshop. It wasn't small, but it was a very, very physical job. You spend a lot of time hulking books around, you know, constantly moving things left, right, you know, all over the place. And um, when I first got sick, I, after that, I, I really couldn't do that job anymore. There was no way I could do that job. Um, it was far too physical at that time. And also after I got sick, full-time work was off couldn't work full-time anymore so if I'd wanted so my my plan would have been at that time was I would have been working full-time in the bookshop it'd be like okay so I'm you know I'm a newbie I'm you know I'm just a bookseller now but I can be a supervisor I can be an assistant manager I can be manager blah 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 because I can work (laughs) full-time but if you are part-time you don't get to do any of those things you do not get the opportunities as a part-time worker um, and most most women who have had babies will tell you the same thing. <laughs> the jobs for the part time market suck. They are absolute shit. So I was then kind of relegated to having kind of crappy jobs. And uh, that really pissed me off because I thought, oh, I don't really want, you know, it was OK, but it was it felt really annoying because I I felt I had a lot more to give to the world and a lot more that I could have achieved. But nobody was really willing to give it to me on a part-time basis. Um, I compensated for that by traveling loads and having temp jobs. And actually I quite liked temping because I didn't feel indebted to anybody too much. And if I woke up and I felt really sick as a temp and I could just, just not go, I mean, like the best will in the world, they didn't actually have really any power over me and I didn't really have to go. So I quite liked that. Um, and it also meant the contracts were short and so maybe if I could if I worked 30 hours or 35 hours for four weeks it would be okay because then I could have a rest for a couple of weeks and so that would work but it wasn't ideal and the jobs were okay depending on where you were but it wasn't great Um, after I had my daughter um, then there was the even bigger problem of then managing I because you can't even manage your fatigue when you're not working because you have a small child so therefore you never rest again <laughs> and I was like well huh, what am I going to do now I'm going to have to work for myself there's not really any other option I cannot see any other option of how I can balance my family my health and whatever career it is that I want to do so then I had to work out what on earth it was I could or would or might do then <laughs> And so since then, you've been, your daughter's seven, 
um, since yeah. then you've been working for yourself. You created yeah. um, Memory Zoo, which yes. is a yeah. teddy bear out of baby clothes. Yeah, that's that right. right. Yeah, yeah. yeah and that's now right. you're. Yeah, so... Oh, sorry. No, it's all right. Yeah. So, t- um, so Memory Bears, um, and that is, I'm just about to close that business down. Actually, it's just about run its course, but it was beautiful while it la- while it lasted for me. I mean, loads of people still make them and they still want them, but I don't want to do it anymore. It's not not where my passion lies anymore. So I had to move along from it. Um, and then I uh, was part of this collaboration, a book about three years ago, probably a bit more, maybe a bit more than that, about three years ago. And um, after that collaboration, that book, I recorded the audio book for it, kind of on a bit of a, a chancy whim that I might be quite good at. It. I kind of had an idea that I would be good at it, but I didn't really know because I'd never really tried. So I thought, oh, can I do the audio book? And the publisher said, yes, you can do the audio book. I went, great. And then I was like, I don't know how to do an audio book. How the hell am I going to do an audio? So I went away and I worked out how to do an audio book. Um, my husband and I worked out how to do it. And, um, and I have been constantly busy since then because apparently my voice is nice to listen to. <laughs> well, I'm enjoying it. Um, how do your symptoms show up now? So obviously I assume fatigue is one of your big issues. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it really varies. It's not, it's not nearly as bad as it was. So when I was first diagnosed, it was pretty freaking dismal. They really, you know, when I spoke to the MS nurse just after my diagnosis, I was um, limping and dragging my foot. So I didn't have a good gait at all. I was very fatigued. I could walk short distances only, but I could walk. And so, you know, that was good. Um, but, and I was in still quite a lot of pain. And I, I remember looking at her and I said, when am I going to get better? And she said, no, dear, you're probably not going to get better now. I was like, oh, okay. But I do also remember thinking, fuck that. <laughs> I was like, I am not living like this. There has to be a way. And I felt, I didn't know what that way was, but I felt there must be a way for me to make the best of what this was however it was going to pan out for me I didn't really understood what I meant by it at the time but now my symptoms um, are pain is one is one of the major ones and um, I yeah so pain is a major one fatigue is another one um, um brain fog can be troublesome on certain days depending most of the time it's okay most of the time everything a lot of the time everything is okay you know and actually I'm so much healthier now than anybody ever thought I was going to be. <clears throat> I'm really so much healthier. I don't have an awful lot to complain about in the grand scheme of how my illness might have progressed. However, you know, earlier this week, um, you know, mo- a lot of the time I'm fine, but uh, this week, so I don't know what day of the week, Friday today. So Wednesday, no, Tuesday and Wednesday, I felt absolutely wretched. I spent two days sitting on the sofa because I was just like, I'm too tired to move. I can't do this. I can't think. I can't, you know, do. And the same as a day, you know, there was a day last week where we had the same thing. But then there might be a whole two or three weeks where there's not much to talk about other than a bit of an itchy pain in my side, but I can deal with that. You know, that there's a few pains that never, ever go. They're always there no matter what, but I can deal with that because that's just one small pain. You know, it's, it's okay. But fatigue, I find the most oh that one does my head in really does yeah and apart from 
Oh, apart from not getting up straight away in the morning and spending days on the couch, do you have other ways of managing the pain or the fatigue, those sorts of things? Yeah. So um, one thing, the pain for me is exercise makes all the difference. And um, that really does bring, um, reduce the pain quite considerably. So obviously exercise, it makes you fit, which is great because my fatigue is not as bad if I am fit. So I'm, I know that if I'm fatigued, I'm only tired because it's the MS. I'm not also tired because I'm unfit because <laughs> I don't want to be un I don't want to be tired for a reason that I can avoid because that is stupid so if I you know the fitter I am the less fatigued I get because I'm just generally fitter and healthier as anybody would be so at least I know that I'm only dealing with one type of fatigue then I'm not dealing with all the others that you get from being old and tired as a mother and working from home and blah 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 take your pick um but um if there's days so as I said I, I mean I run generally every other day but also on those days I do quite a lot of tai chi I'm very very fond of tai chi and and uh, it doesn't have to be very long to make a difference um six minutes is all it takes to really free energy up move things around a bit of deep breathing a few kind of circles with your arms and various different things a bit of wafting and you know all the rest of that and I feel so much better. And so if I am, especially if I'm fatigued, I aim to do at least six minutes of Tai Chi, even if I, because that might be all of all I can manage. And even if I can't stand up to do it, I shall sit and I will breathe and wave my arms about and I feel better. And that does make all the difference. So just feeling like you've achieved some little thing that makes a difference to the pain. Um, it might be all the fatigue allows in any given day, but I, you know, as long as I do something, I'm good with that. Otherwise, I walk quite a lot. I don't have a car. So I, my husband does, but I don't drive. So I walk absolutely everywhere. And I'm quite grateful for that because it just means that you stay fitter in general. You get fresh air. My daughter has to walk everywhere too. And she doesn't mind. She's quite used to it. So she just accepts that if she's going with mummy, we're walking <laughs> and it's fine. Um, other things to sort of in my day to day would be I don't, um, I try, I've just started actually eating a gluten-free and dairy-free diet as well. Um, I don't eat much sugar anyway, because um, it doesn't really make me feel very good. I do sometimes, but you know, just generally, I try not to eat too much of it. Um, but I've recently, I'm recently trying dairy-free and gluten-free to see if that helps with symptoms in general, you know, anti-inflammatory diets, see if it makes a difference. I, it's too early to tell really. I could I've only been doing it for about four weeks. So I couldn't really couldn't really tell you. I've had ups and downs in the last four weeks, but nothing wildly different from, to normal. One thing I would say is I do feel good within myself. Like my brain is functioning really well. So I don't have much brain fog at the moment. So that's good. I'll take that. And as well as all of those things, I understand that you also do acupuncture. Yes. Yeah, I do. So I don't do it. I go to acupuncture. Um, <laughs> no. My husband does say, can't I just learn to do this? It can't be that difficult. I'm like, you can if you want to study for five years or whatever it is. Off you go, boy. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, okay. Can't I just get a nail from the shed? <laughs> no, you can't. Anyway, yeah, I do. I go to acupuncture. Well, for the back, so about eight years ago, um, so before my daughter was born, I was taking Lyrica. So I was taking pregabalin before Felicity was born for pain, for 
neuropathic pain because it was really bad and I could not manage without these painkillers. Um, I was also taking amitriptyline actually as well at night and um, I went to, I wanted to have a baby and I went to new, the neurologist and he said yes of course you can have a baby MS isn't hereditary which was <laughs> I wanted to know because you know you just kind of, you don't really know do you but um, he said no you can have a baby that's absolutely fine and we talked through that and he said but you probably want to stop taking the pregabalin said you don't have he was kind of like you don't have to but it's probably better but it's better if you do I was like oh okay then yeah that should be fine I'll stop taking that so I tried to stop taking it and I couldn't stop taking it because I was in a lot a lot of pain and so I thought right okay so how am I going to do this uh, he said I can take them but probably best not to there's got to be some other way so I'd had acupuncture before I knew about it but um, I hadn't had it recently, but I thought, well, it's got to be worth a try. So I went to see, um, she's actually my old acupuncturist now because she's retired, which is a real shame. <laughs> I really miss her. So I went to see um, my acupuncturist and she started to treat me. And within, oh, within a month, I had started to come off the Lyrica and certainly within two months it was gone. I didn't take it at all anymore and I didn't need it. And the amitriptyline went as well. So it was absolutely amazing. Like it was so good for pain. Um, and I realized also not only was it good for my pain, but my fatigue was getting better as in not so fatigued. Um, and I just felt more capable and competent. I felt fitter and like I could actually make better choices because I felt more energetic in general. Um, and I had a baby. Uh, you know, without the medicine. And then, because my original intention was simply to come off the medicine long enough to have a baby and then just go, I just wanted enough to survive that time to then just go back on it afterwards. It hadn't even occurred to me that I could live a life without it. I just sort of thought this was it forever. And it just goes to show you, you don't really know, do you? But, you know, so I had acupuncture and she really helped my pain. And I saw her twice a month for... Um, I saw her twice a month for eight years, I think. She just retired not that long ago. So I now have a new acupuncturist who I'm just getting used to. <laughs> <laughs> he has a different way of working. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to change was, something after that long. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, but it was absolutely amazing. The difference that it made to me was absolutely unparalleled. That was that between learning to listen to my body and acupuncture, acupuncture was absolutely was life-changing in its moment um, I don't actually have it that much now because um, of lockdown and various different things and I, I seem to be okay but I do miss my old acupuncturist <laughs> can you tell me what the best thing that has happened and you know this is probably a tricky one because it's been so long but the best thing that's happened to you because of your MS Ooh, because of it well my entire freaking life to be honest yeah. <laughs> it's like everything I couldn't really tell you one best thing I every decision I've made has been backed by the idea that tomorrow I might not be able to do it but not in a bad way not in a oh god I might not be able to do it tomorrow what am I going to do but in a you know what I'm going to do this anyway this is really scary like lots of things really scare the shit out of me you know that I do all the time like write books or go on podcasts they don't scare me anymore but they <laughs> would have done five years ago I'd have been terrified to do it 
But then I decided I wanted to do it. And so you do it. And now it brings me great joy. Talking in public brings me great joy. Writing about things brings me great joy. Recording audiobooks, you know, going for walks with my family. My legs walk, go up and down the stairs. And it's freaking amazing. You know, it's just wonderful that my legs go up and down the stairs. I'm like, oh, my God, this is great. You know, so it's actually everything. And it's that sense of incredible gratitude that life has given me. My husband's awesome. <laughs> like, he's so cool. Would I, would I have met him if I hadn't had MS? Who knows? Because I wouldn't have lived the life I did. And so I can't possibly, I would never change it. I don't regret any part of it. I wouldn't even, even the most hideous parts of it, I wouldn't change because I couldn't be who I am without those parts of it existing. So I it would be very my yeah I'm I I'm very happy in the life that I have <laughs> and I'm very harmonized with my MS now we're a, we're mates we are, we're mates and we hang out together and it's yeah. good <laughs> yeah awesome um and the last question I love to ask everyone is what is something you tell people to make MS more understood um more understood I think with all invisible illnesses, it's very hard to understand something that you can't see. And to say advocate for yourself, if you can, is really is really important. But if you can't help those who can advocate on your behalf. So, you know, even if it's down to, um, you know, people on Instagram, actually, you know, just people on Twitter and Instagram, or people who have a loud voice who want to use that loud voice to talk about the issues that are important to you, then help them to do that. You know, get behind them, lend your voice to it, make them make them know that you need, that we all need to work together towards it. And also, you know, talk about it with people, talk about it who understand, with people who understand. Um, there's any number of people who have MS who will happily have a chat <laughs> you know there's lots of lovely charities who put people in contact with each other you know like I um I volunteer as a buddy for people who are newly diagnosed and it's just great because you get to talk to each other they get to talk to somebody who is a lot further down the path and I think find somebody who's further down the path who you would like to be like and look and find out how to make that happen and you'll be all right it'll be okay <laughs> it's not yeah. it's not nearly as it's not nearly as shit as you fear it's gonna be <laughs> yeah and that's right. exactly what I'm trying to share through this podcast so yeah. thank you so much Katie for spending some time with us on your Friday evening that's okay <laughs> I've got out of bedtime hurrah yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much for listening to today's episode of MS Understood you can find Katie on Instagram at ms underscore is underscore my underscore superpower. You can find me at claire.riley or ms understood podcast. I'm always looking for new guests for the ms understood podcast. If this is you or someone you know, please send me a message via either of my Instagram accounts. In an effort to make sure we have really good representation, I'd love to hear from any members of the LGBTQI plus community our Black or BIPOC community, or any men willing to share their stories of living with multiple sclerosis. The best thing you can do to support this podcast is click follow on Spotify, subscribe on any other podcast listening platforms, and leave a review. 
This really helps other people to find the, episode, the podcasts. Thanks again for listening and please share this episode with someone you think it might help.